Alright, I'm gonna let the cat out one. Yeah, gonna. Oh, he shares my birthday. That's nice. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, meow. <laughs> I take it you're not a cat person either, Louise. I fucking hate cats, Matt. With a passion. Thank you very much. Yeah, I don't like them either. They drive me nuts. I think they're. I think they're. Broken. <laughs> Didn't like it. Don't like it. So yeah. Fuck cats. Fuck cats. I even like cats, but also fuck cats. <laughs> Here we are. So, welcome to the Three Linesman Podcast. <laughs> My name's Matt. And I'm Luis. So so welcome back, guys. It's been it's been a week. We're getting better. We're getting weekly. It hasn't been posted, but we're getting weekly. Yeah, we're recording weekly at least. <laughs> okay, so uh Arsenal Liverpool, where were we? Something we should refocus our efforts on doing is uh, saying the, the score at the yeah. top of the discussion. So we had Arsenal. Nobody, nobody listens to us to know the score of matches. That's probably true, given <laughs> timing of our releases. However, they may have forgotten the score <laughs> in the interim. So in this case, it was Arsenal 1, Liverpool 1. Yeah, I, I, I'd mentioned... Um... Arsenal's fast start. I was I was a little bit surprised by uh, the Liverpool setup, not wanting to exploit Arsenal's defense. Um, but more than anything, I was surprised with the pace that Arsenal showed to begin with. We had mentioned it a couple pods ago that they are not a first half team. We were surprised. I think when was it Ozil scored in the forty fifth minute, and you said, right. "Well, Arsenal are a second half team plus a minute." And yeah, exactly. that would not mean a second half team. That, that's it's a funny joke, but it it's terrible for a team to have to constantly have to battle back into a game. And I think against the Liverpool side, that would have been nearly impossible had they had a really slow first half and pop, maybe let in a couple goals. But that wasn't the case. I mean, within 30 seconds, I think Aubameyang was putting a ball into the, into the box, trying to find someone. Yeah, that space in between uh, Gomez and Trent Alexander-Arnold were, was, that was wide open for whatever reason. I think... It's overlooked a little bit that Alexander Arnold is what nineteen, yeah, 20, something like that, um, and going up against Aubameyang, who is mm. is a good bit faster, I think, in person than he looks on TV. Okay, um, because I've I've heard a couple of people say this, and I was listening to the the Anfield Rap podcast, and one of those guys was at the match in the away section, and he was right at that end where Aubameyang was running. At Alexander Arnold, and he's like, I knew he was quick, but I didn't know he was that quick. And he's also not a short man. I mean, it's an imposing guy that's barreling right. down on a 19-year-old. It's old man strength against, you know, a kid that's that's still learning the game. Exactly. And a lot of people don't realize this about Aubameyang too. He's what, 29, 30? Yeah, late 20s, or he may have just turned 30. 
Yeah. Mm. But yeah, it's surprising. I, I thought, especially given the lineup, um, Kolasinac was making his comeback. Uh, Sala could have definitely had a few good runs at him, but Shaka yeah. playing in position, yeah. helping well. Kolasinac being very, I think he was very efficient in, his, in the way that he approached defending Sala making very precise stabs at the ball so he never really got into card trouble or uh, foul trouble, so it worked. And he could use to, uh, I mean, what am I trying to say? Uh, he could do with maintaining that level of caution <laughs> throughout the season. <laughs> past this match. <laughs> uh, because occasionally he forgets that his primary goal is not to overlap the attacking winger. I mean, which he still was able to do fairly well. Um, prior to this match, I was terrified that we were going to have to face Mane, Salah, and Firmino with a backline of Licksteiner, Shaka, Mustafi, and Holding because of injuries. That would, that, mm. I mean, that would be terrifying. It, it would have been almost pointless to play. Well, the pace on the left would have killed you with Licksteiner and... You didn't know Chuck what yeah. had a red card before the first half. I was going to say he was going to be unpredictable, but you're right. There is a bit of predictability there. Yeah. I mean, it, we, it amazed me that um, Roy Hodgson didn't switch uh, Zaha over to Shaka's side immediately when he found out that he was going to be playing on that side because as soon as last week or the week before, uh, as soon as Zaha made his first foray down Xhaka's side. He drew the penalty. Well, you you have to realize that Hodgson is not <laughs> the brightest spark in the electrical box. Well, he's uh, I don't know if it's a spark he's thing. A... He he. I don't think he's he's a dull guy. I just think he's stuck playing football in 1978, and he's great at what he does, but. He's not going to start switching around players in his four four two. Right. You think it's more of a wanted mm-hmm. issue? <laughs> You're just it's holding four. a grudge from Euro 2016 when you had Harry Kane taking corners, which I thought I mean, was genius. Like I said, it's just stupid. It's just it's just he has no concept of what the hell's going on. And we should also mention. Okay, so Liverpool have a throw in coach. They do. I was looking for evidence of this the entire match. Not, not really. Wait, apparent. is this the same? This is the same guy. Oh yeah. Oh, this is the one he hired. But this is the one we talked about before. Correct. But do they also have yeah. a corner coach that's now getting creative with the double taker thing that they were doing? That Liverpool were doing. You didn't pick up on this. So they had a right-footed and a left-footed player at in the early corner kicks. Oh, both standing to to see who would who would be the one taking it. No, I didn't really notice that. I was mainly terrified. Yeah. Like, to Who's, whose idea is that? That that seems ridiculously stupid. Because well, that's how, what I was going to ask. How much? How much are you putting somebody off by second guessing which foot somebody's going to strike the ball with, and then you're giving up a player that could be in the box? Exactly. To like, why not put your whole team out there and make them guess who's going to kick it? Have all have. Have eleven players sat on the corner, and one and nobody will know who's going to take the kick. It's just <laughs> so clarified. I I actually did not notice this. Um, 
you had two players lining up off of the field? Yeah, so it, it was like almost like you had two, um, two different players that were potentially going to take the kick, and then there would either be a in-swinging or out-swinging kick. Weird. The, the one player that didn't take the kick then quickly, co- like, essentially covered back down the line for a ball. It happened once where Salah actually ended up getting the ball again. But there were two people lining up, and I, again, I'm confused. I, I, I don't know if Klopp has now gotten so far into tactical guru bullshit that he not only has a throw-in coach, but a corner coach. And then this moron... So I'm sorry? Why are they always so weird? I, I don't know. But again, the flight time on the ball is such that you could tell really quickly whether this is an in-swinging or an out-swinging ball. <laughs> it, it's, it's not... It's not going to surprise anybody. Nor should it change your, def- your defensive tactics once the ball has been kicked. But, yeah. Because Arsenal really like taking short corners now. Well, so the, despite this ridiculous double corner, the only creative corner that I saw was that set play, the, the short corner set play from Arsenal that almost, if Shaka cool. actually gets all of his granite behind it, that's definitely a goal. That's, let's, that's see what, let's see what you did there. For that, for that one. <laughs> At least two. Did, was that in the, in the highlights that you saw, Matt? Uh, no. Well or at least I don't remember it anyway. So I don't remember the exact sequence, but it was played into like the near six-yard box-ish area from a short corner. So passed uh-huh. the short man and then played into the near post. Um, and then angled back towards the 18 where Shaka was mm. running onto it. And he angled, tried to angle a left footed shot towards the far post, but he didn't connect well and he, he hit it wide. Okay. I might have seen that. I, I don't know. Sometimes yeah, it, was, it, just, it was a good chance. And it um, goes in one eye and out the other, as far as I'm concerned. Sometimes. Right. Another one of those first half opportunities that seem to really put Arsenal on the front foot. And make, at least me, make me think, you know, is Liverpool going to get into this game a little bit? Right. So the general characteristic of the, or character of the first half for me was Arsenal started strong, generally kept possession, but Liverpool looked really, really dangerous on all their counters. Yes. And I didn't feel, I didn't enjoy watching any of this match, like, (laughs) while I was watching it. I enjoyed it afterwards when it was over, looked back on it, enjoyed thinking about it. But I was very nervous the entire time. But Ian, dangerous, dangerous on the counter when they were able to really get the ball out to Salah and Mane. There were a lot of balls that would get wasted in the midfield because there really wasn't someone there to efficiently distribute the ball. I'm not saying that Henderson here is uh, you know, an, an artiste with the ball or anything close to that. But if you do have Henderson out for an injury, why not put in Shakiri and move a, 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 I don't know what kind of role Fabinho played prior to Liverpool, but it didn't seem that he was making those, those incisive passes. Yeah, I think what, what they missed with Henderson was his work rate right. more than anything else. I think Henderson just runs his ass off the entire game. Um, and with the amount in the 4-3-3 that Liverpool play, with the amount that the wingers... And, and Salah are advanced and the wingbacks are pushing up. Um, those at least two midfielders need to 
they need to at the same it's it seems like an impossible amount of work okay with attacking the attacking with the the level to which they're an attacking minded team you know it seems it seems strange because i'm i'm not really a henderson fan but for somehow when when he is playing he seems to have a lot more time and space than other central midfielders for for liverpool and i don't know if that's or imagined or what but that's that's my perception of it that he seems to have a lot more time and space whatever he's doing however the team is playing he seems to have that time and space whereas fabinho didn't i don't know if it's just who they're playing or what but it seems totally different. It just seems really strange. And it could be time to his work as far as like I Ian mentioned. Yeah, it could be. I mean but a lot of times for me, I, I just I just think he's kind of a useless lump, but then somehow he's controlling it better than than Fabinho did, who over the few games I've seen Fabinho play, he looks like a better player in my mind. But then what's going on? How is this control actually happening? What it's, it's strange and nuanced. And I, I don't, maybe Henderson is not the useless lump that I, that I take him for. Aww. I don't think he's a big softy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said, maybe I said, maybe Louise don't get carried away. <laughs> no, but I think that's, I think that's right. I think, um, I think a lot of when you, for, for any player, not just Henderson, when you see him, when you see a player that has space, it's because he's worked hard to move into that, into the the area to receive the ball where he's going to have space, which means he's constantly moving. Mm. Not to say that Fabinho wasn't constantly moving, but there's there's knowledge of of where to move. And Fabinho, this is only his what fifth or sixth game in the Premier League. Yeah, he's mm. still adjusting. But I mean, I thought. The other thing that really impressed me about Liverpool was how solid their defense was um, after that initial period that Arsenal had success with um, down the channels. I thought Gomez and and Van Dijk were excellent. Alexander Arnold, despite being you know somewhat outmatched, I think he held his own, and Robertson did the defensive work really well, and he was pushing up and and really providing a a, a good outlet. But, uh, on the attacking counterattack, so it worked. Yeah. What did you think of the uh, of the Mane non-goal offsides? I think we got lucky. See, I, I've heard a lot of that opinion, but do you really uh, not think that he affected the play? So yeah, that's the that would be the argument for him being offside. Was that? Did you get to see this, Matt, in the replay? No, I didn't. I didn't. That wasn't on the replay I watched. So the ball was played in over the top, I think, via... I can't remember who played it. I think it was Fabinho, actually. Um, but it was played in, and it and Mane was in an offside position when it was played. Mm-hmm. And he went towards the ball. Ne- never, you know, turns his run, never really drifts away from the ball. Right, but doesn't play the ball ever, and Firmino gets to it first. From an onside mm. position. From an onside position, he takes a shot, which is hit off the bar, falls to Mane, who puts it away. And when Firmino shoots, Mane is then in an off onside position, because right. he's behind the ball. Mm. So what it looked like was the linesman 
was in a good spot to make the first original offside call, but then the ball was played so quickly, he was all of a sudden eight to 10 yards behind the play and couldn't right. accurately call whether Mane was level with Firmino or, or past him. And a lot of people, I think, thought he guessed and guessed wrong. Um, but the other option is that he was saying that Mane interfered with play from the first pass right. when he was in an offside position. Um, either way, I think we either got lucky with the way the referee called it or in the way that he missed it. I mean, it at close. the risk of going into it, it into close. another refereeing segue for half an hour, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, the new rule that linesmen have to wait until the player touches the ball to determine whether or not he's actually involved with play is, first of all... Creating this kind silly. of confusion? Creates confusion. Is, can be dangerous, can be a waste of time when the ball's clearly played to, to, played to a player, everyone kind of reacts to that, and then somehow the ball, the play continues because that person then decides not to touch the ball and somebody else runs through. I mean, it's it, it, he's clearly engaged with play because he was the original intended recipient of the pass. And, and it creates a lot of confusion. There have been times where someone's running on a, on a long pass he's going he's charging at the keeper he hasn't got the ball yet the keeper's coming out they're going to collide with each other the the linesman hasn't raised his flag yet because the one the attacker hasn't touched the ball is yet to touch the ball and so it's, it, it creates a very dangerous situation and then when he finally does touch the ball then it's like oh wait hang on now i've got to now i'm going to go back and call it back where he was offside to start with which is at halfway or just just obviously just past halfway when he touches the ball 40 yards down the pitch well where are you calling it then then you so you it, it just seems stupid and and ridiculous like no he's he's clearly involved with play raise your flag right away there's not a lot of confusion as to whether or not what's going on it, it, they've done it i don't know maybe to allow more goals to go ahead but it just seems like it's a lot more confusing and it it creates a lot of dangerous situations that are unnecessary i don't disagree with any of, any of that i'm on board yeah <laughs> okay especially, right, especially when it came I've... to this goal because again it was clear that he was running to the ball it was unnecessary yeah. for the play to go on so yeah and it, it just all the way around it just seems like a waste of time and, and confusion and and people getting upset because they think it should stand or they shouldn't um now one thing i did see in in the highlights was uh van dyke getting smashed by leno on a corner or some kind of cross oh yeah and uh, right in the face <laughs> He just hits him straight in the face. No penalty. Like Van Dyke gets there first, heads the ball. Um, he's he's missed the goal or whatever. It's gone gone wide or gone over something. I can't remember. But then Leno gets there a bit late and just smashes into his into the side of his cheek. He exercised his goalkeeper privilege. And it's like, well, are you playing advantage because the ball was played on goal? Like if somebody shoots the ball, you. And then someone hits the other with an uppercut. You still have to call a free kick. Seemed fair to me, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it did, Ian. Sure. Yeah. I like I like the idea of the goalkeeper privilege. I mean, I I think goalkeepers are a bit yeah. too protective of a species at times, as far as I'm concerned. No, but in this case, in, in the attacking mindset, I mean, they're allowed to use their oh, hands. He, he was kind of going yeah. for the ball. He was kind of going for the ball. He was claim. late. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. 
it wasn't horrendous. It wasn't like some some players that hit in the field. And yeah, I mean, you have to give. I guess you do have to give him a certain benefit of the doubt that he's going for the ball. Yeah, just seemed very seemed very late. Yeah, I think one thing that he did was, um, I think Van Dyke definitely knew he was coming, and that threw off his header a little bit. Mm. Yeah, you played differently. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you do have to give him. The- you might as well slap him in the face. Yeah. Van Dyke also had that great opportunity—the little dink over the the offside trap—and Leno he- chest. He controlled with his chest. He was a little bit, I think, awkward with his legs. By the time that he got around to it, Leno was already on top of him and chested the ball away. Yeah, chest. I think did Van Dyke try? He tried to shoot, right? He did. He did. It went off his yeah. uh, calf. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's the classic defender has controlled it better than he thought he was going to. <laughs> I don't even know it is the second step. Well, it's the classic. It's a defender in the 18-yard box or almost or wherever, exactly where it was. And he doesn't quite know what to do at that point. And yeah, like, that's, the reason, and that's one of the reasons that they're defenders and not strikers. Yeah. He, when that ball came over, he knew in his head what he had to do. He just didn't actually prepare himself for a successful execution of that. I completely disagree with this. <laughs> I think Go on. he had it in his head. I mean, if you look, the, the chest, it's, it's pure finesse. He brings the ball yeah. down perfectly. That's what I'm saying. I think he gets too overexcited. <laughs> I think he knows exactly what he's going to do, and he's going, ooh, Virgil's going to score, Virgil's going to score, and then he fucks it up. <laughs> Two sides of the same coin. <laughs> I just love the idea of Virgil van Dyke going, Woo, Virgil's going to score, Virgil's going to score. <laughs> well, no, not outwardly, but he clearly is. He's a softie. He seems annoyingly serious. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Klopp hugs him and he just stands there straight-armed, grimacing until it's over. Well, what would you do if Klopp hugged you? I mean, I'd probably grimace until it was over, too. Well, right, but like you have the other players that, like Shakiri, clearly loves being hugged by Klopp more than anything else that happens to him <laughs> in the day. You feel so, you feel so small in my arms. <laughs> All right, so we should probably get to the I goal. Feel safe. I feel so safe. <laughs> well, so second the second half comes around, and and there's a big change of, I think a big change of pace. There's a little bit. Of disorganization at the beginning of the half. Yeah, Liverpool end up changing formation um, when they brought on. Uh, I can't remember who they. I think they. I don't remember exactly what point they changed formation, but they um, they dropped Firmino into midfield and just tried to get a little bit more of a a hold on the midfield with uh, with Shaka and Torreira because they were getting. I mean, as we said. There was little resistance being put up by by Fabinho. Yeah. Um, but the uh, there was a lot of talk of of Leno making a mistake for Milner's goal. It was a ball that was a cross that was put in. Leno comes out to intercept it, can only palm it into the center of the area. I, I saw some people suggesting that he should have left it. Um, I don't think those people saw Salah at the far post. Because had he left it, Salah would have likely just tapped it in at the far post. 
Yeah, I mean, his other his only other option, as far as I'm concerned, is to try to just punch it up as high as possible instead of just palming it and saving it from going across. But right. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't think that's necessarily a keeper error, really. Well, no, I think the suggestion was that he should have been doing a little bit more tracking on those balls that might have been a bit out of reach. He did it a couple of times, Ian, not just that one. So I think the criticism was as a result of him okay. trying to come out a couple times. I think it might have been three times in the game, not quite getting to the ball, or in the case of the goal, getting just to the ball, but then being out of position for the resulting rebound. And if he tracks back, I mean, he has the speed to track back and uh, make a good play on a, a ball that might get to Salah. But it was in a pretty crowded area, so I don't necessarily think it was a given that it would have been a goal. And I think okay. that's why that there's that suggestion of a mistake. And it's easy to make a suggestion of a mistake because he's a young keeper. So if you say that, oh, maybe he made a mistake, it's, it's a little bit more believable than if you were to say that of De Gea or someone that's a little bit more established. Right. But it also it kind of ignores the fact that uh, holding, it bounced off holding who deflected it away from Klasnach, who was well positioned to make the clearance. And by bouncing yeah, off I mean, it falls to... I mean, holdings, holdings is pure reaction and gets a little bit of it. I don't think that's necessarily fair to to say that Holding was in the wrong to try to go yeah, for it. Milner threaded the needle there because it was between Holding and Leno was already coming back trying to make a play on the ball again. So it it, it was definitely a, a tight window that he put it through. Yeah. Hmm. And if there's any player on the field that you, from an Arsenal point of view, you didn't want that ball falling to, it was probably James Milner because he's the least excitable person in the Premier League. He doesn't have the imagination. <laughs> he doesn't have the... <laughs> Yeah, it's all, it's all right angles inside that brain. That's right. So um, the, the main error that I saw in that play, and it took me a few times watching it to see who was culpable, um, was that Milner arrives in the box completely unmarked, which suggests that he ran past at least one midfielder on his way there. And uh, it was Shaka. So that part of his game has not been completely corrected just yet. It took him about four seconds to turn around, remember? Yeah. Side to side stuff. It's, I mean, it's, it's a little bit infuriating when you watch it back because he's, he, he's looking at Milner. And he's just like, nah. However, <laughs> slide in the box. First, I'm going back to the first half. The slide in the box where he takes the ball from Salah that Perfect. you think clearly that's a penalty. Yeah, it's Heart perfectly timed. So maybe Emery is getting to, to them at some point. I think Bellerin also showed a lot of improvement in his uh, balance from defensive to attacking uh, play. Mm -hmm. I, I, one little mistake isn't, I, I don't think will necessarily make or break this Arsenal team. I, I definitely see improvements. Yeah, I agree. Um, last year, that, that goal that went in would have, and you saw it in the crowd too, the crowd was different. Um, yeah. Anxiety would have flown through the the stands, and the team's head, like all the heads, would have dropped. Ozil would have stopped running. Gone into a five minute funk, <laughs> and <laughs> but everybody everybody kept their composure and and tried to to uh, just keep. They just had confidence in what in their plan. They had, a, I think, the difference was they had a plan <laughs> to have confidence in. And I, I will say that the plan seems to be let Iwobi make a good final pass. 
Yeah, Iwobi's been excellent. I, I mean, yeah, I've been quite impressed with him in, in, in recent games. Um, I guess when I when he first started playing, and I, I was thinking he looked a bit slow, a little bit, uh, I, don't, I don't know, kind of just slow to react, kind of squarish, he moved kind of, didn't seem fluid, he just seemed like, I don't know, but he's been, his passes have been really good, and his movement's been a lot better too, so. Do you mean, you first, when you first started, do you mean like last season, watching him? Yeah, or? like last season, or whenever it was, or whenever he really started picking up more time for Arsenal, if it was last season, or was it the season before, um, where he, he, he just looked slow, and kind of out of it, and like he didn't really, have the ideas of to what was going on but right. now he's making he's making clever plays and and looks a lot more fluid on his feet as well and he's spoken about how um emery has instilled more confidence into his play yeah. has has told him to not worry about making a mistake to to try dribbling past people you know it's not always going to work just just keep going and, and you see that he gets to the end line he gets past people mm-hmm but just going back to, I guess, finishing up and going to Lacazette's goal, um, that assist from the three ball from Iwobi was, as Matt referenced, was, or one of you referenced, uh, was excellent. Yeah. Oh, he, and he, I, he overruns the, the pass because Allison makes a great move towards the ball. So mm-hmm. Lacazette has to kind of overrun it and bring it back around. But the shot, I mean, talk about perfect placement. Yep, just a tight turn, and doesn't he doesn't? I looked on the replay. He doesn't look at the goal at all. He just turns and knows exactly where to put it. Um, I thought striker. Perfect opportunity for for one of your uh, your drive and, and dives, Matt. Yeah. Well, I when I saw that replay, I kind of thought that it was going to be that because the keeper comes out, Me he too. kind of goes goes low for it and. You know, he he gets the touch before the keeper goes goes past him, and you think, right, this oh no, he stays on his feet, and then Allison is like scrambling, trying to get back and kind of cover and cover the shot, as like as it just turns and and puts his perfect pass to to the far side, uh, perfect shot. I mean, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good goal. I mean, he had a lot a lot of work to do, which. From his recent form and some of the some of the chances he's missed in recent matches, I didn't think he was going to do it. But I didn't think that was going to be the goal when when I was watching the highlights. I mean, I knew it was one one, but I didn't think it was going to be that opportunity. Um, and he had spent most of the game frustrated. Uh, he had been getting some some decent balls in, but he does have a tendency of really showing that frustration, throwing his hands up and and being mm. very vocal. I don't I don't know if it's necessarily that he's you know, a, a, a Ronaldo kind of player where the expectation is things go to him, or if it's just he's that competitive of a player that he's um, so, somewhat upset when things don't go exactly how he envisions them. Yeah, I think he's very self-critical. Okay. Uh, he, I mean, he and uh, Aubameyang, definitely, they're really good friends off the field as well. Okay. And in one of the previous games, I think, it, I can't remember whose goal it was, it was whatever that really, really nice goal that we scored against Fulham, I think. The third one against Fulham that we've talked about. I can't remember who put it in. Um, Ozil? No, it Ozil's was Ozil's. He squares it up for Aubameyang, yeah. Yeah. So Aubameyang is peeling off to celebrate with Ozil and Ramsey, and 
Lacazette is over at the far post and he's just like jumping up and down, like celebrating on his own <laughs> that a goal was scored that he kind of had nothing to do with. But I thought that was a good illustration of of how he views his his role in the team. For me, it was just having not seen them a lot. It was uh, a bit of a mixed signal with the body language and yeah. and the intensity that I've seen them play play with. All right. Well, shall we leave the Premier League aside and head on to, to Greener Brown. Shores or Browner Shores or whatever it may be? Did you say Browner Shores? Yeah, it was just wow. referencing the fact that you don't get as much rainfall in Spain as you do in England. It's harder to leave greener shores or arrive at greener shores than it is in England. Besides, the rain I was trying in to Spain <laughs> falls mainly on the plain. It doesn't fall on the coast. Exactly. So the coast would be, would be browner. That Shade makes sense. Tan. Yes. That's okay. right. Yeah. A shade of tan. Yeah. Shame on you, Luis. Shame on you. Yeah, okay. All right, so La Liga. La Liga. We didn't have a um a La Liga game of the week this week, so we no. can choose whichever one was the most interesting and make it our game of the week. Matt, which one was it? Oh, uh, it'd probably be Barcelona against whoever the hell they played. Like an or somebody, was it? Was it? Yeah, you're right. Go ahead. Rayo Vallecano. Yep. I I I don't even know what he said. Rayo Rayo Vallecano. Oh. oh yeah, gotcha. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one. But yeah. Why was this a good match, Matt? Well, Barcelona were were behind. Um, and behind like. Uh, let me let me look at what the when the goals are scored. But I think they went behind twice. Yeah, um, Barcelona took, takes oh no. the early lead, and then Barcelona took the early lead, and then Real Real Volcanoes uh, scored twice to go ahead, uh, and that was and that was quite. For, so uh, Suarez scored on ten minutes in. Um, Rayo scored 35th minute and 57th minute. And then for a long spell, that's the way it looked like it was going to be. It looked like it was going to be 2-1. And I think I, I said to you in, in, the, in the group text, Barcelona's not winning this because it's three minutes left. And, I, I, well, they could, they could draw, but they're not going to win. And then, like, right after I said that, they get a goal back to make it 2-2. And then Suarez scores on the 90th minute to make it 3-2. And, and so it's two goals in three minutes. And it was, you know, they snatched, snatched a, you know, three points from, from zero in the last couple of minutes of the match. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, all thanks to you. Sorry? I said all thanks to you. All thanks to me. Well, there you are.
You're the worst, There's no way. You know, Suarez had nothing to do with it. None of the other players had anything to do with it. Dembele didn't have anything to do with it. The goal scorer of the second of the first. No, of course he didn't. No. No, it's just me, I'm afraid. So if you're a Barcelona supporter, you're welcome. If you're not a Barcelona supporter, I, I apologize. Uh, but not this accepted. puts Barcelona well <laughs> it, it's it's there for you the ball's in your court yeah uh, this puts Barcelona firmly at the top four points clear of Atletico Madrid yeah and keeps Rayo in 19th it's, it's a three point gap with Espanol what's really interesting is then third third through fifth it's a three-way tie on points with Sevilla, Atletico, and Alaves. And then you have two teams at 6th and 7th with uh, Real Madrid and Levante at 17 points. So Bizarre. Um, and then another, f- let's see, three teams on 16, two teams on 14. It, it really is a much, much more competitive league than in past years. It's, it's exciting. I'm, I don't want to say I'm... I'm more excited to watch La Liga games, but I, I think now when you have a game come up like a, uh, an Espanol Alaves, which in previous seasons you would have never watched, now it's, it's worthwhile to sit down and watch a game between two top six teams. Right. Or even a game against, by one of these other teams against Barcelona. Yeah. Because it's not just a procession. Right. Yeah. There's more. There's more. More to play for. Like if, you know, in in previous seasons, if if Barcelona drop, drop a point against Espanyol, it didn't really matter. They were still going to be either them or Real Madrid. Now, if they drop points against Espanyol, that's that's the table breaking wide open. Right. So, makes it a lot more interesting. I reckon. I, I watched some of the Espanyol, um, Athletic Bilbao uh, this morning. That I don't know if we recorded that or not, um, but uh, Espanol looked looked pretty decent. Um, Bilbao did not. Um, so we had a we had a listener question about La Liga from at Suso Linares, um, and he asked, "How long is Marcelino basically? How long is Marcelino going to be in, in the job at Valencia?" Uh, which is a reasonable question seeing as how Valencia find themselves 15th, having won once, drawn eight times, and lost twice, including this weekend. It's a reasonable Um, question. What is completely unreasonable is the year-over-year form. I'm confused by this Valencia team, which didn't seem to have a lot of changeover. Yeah. And now they get this pile of a performance. I mean, what did they finish last season? They were quite high, right? They were top six? Fourth. Fourth. They're a Champions League team. Yeah. So, you know, it is, like I said, it's ridiculous that they keep, they keep doing this yo-yo thing. I mean, at least like other yo-yo clubs, you know, they go, they go down to the, to the, they get relegated, they get promoted, get, you know, so on and so forth. Ad infinitum. But, but Valencia seemed to do it from like top four to bottom four of the same division yeah they, like year in year out generally bounce between fifth and 17th 
in the, in this yo-yo period that they've had. Yeah. Um, I would be hesitant to sack Marcelino just because he did quite a good job last season. And I think it's an issue of um, it's more an issue of strikers not firing and having some pretty bad luck coming up against some, some pretty good goalkeeping performances than an issue at the other end. They've only let in seven goals in 11 matches. Uh, nine goals. Uh, nine goals. No, sorry, That's not four. Yes, sorry. You're Scored looking seven. four and a, yeah, you're, you're backwards of four against. Yeah. Which is still um, better than everybody except, or a, as good. Yeah, better than everybody except Espanol, Atletico Madrid. And that's, yeah. that's it. So that yeah. means so it's the team's it's basically not, third best defense. Right. It's not Fulham where they're just conceding for fun and a complete shambles. You just got to get, by definition, but, of any team that has eight draws, like it could have gone one way or the other. But then, but then, like you said, like strikers not firing, they have scored the fewest number of goals in La Liga, right? At the moment, they've only scored seven, uh, which is pretty abysmal, pretty bad in eleven matches. Um, you know, worryingly, they are only two points off relegation. Laganese is on nine, and they're staring at a run in so... towards Christmas that isn't uh, very favorable to them. I mean, they have. Uh, young boys next with uh, the Champions League, but after that, a, a few weeks after, it's Juve, then Real Madrid, then the following week it's Sevilla, then Man United. It, it's yeah, it's, it's mm. not it's not an easy run in, and I think depending on the performance, I, I know we've been saying this for Mourinho too, but he's been quite resilient. But I think depending on the performance of those two, uh, those two series of games, we might we might see a coaching change. Yeah, and something I've noticed just following um, a lot of Valencia Twitter accounts is that people are starting to get worried that Marcelino is being asked the same questions after each match because the results have largely been the same. They've been draw, 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 and now loss. Um, and his answer is pretty much always the same it's just like we're trying to play in our in our way and results aren't goals aren't following falling for us and results will improve but after, after a while that's not good enough yeah answers aren't changing results aren't changing the thing that worries me is valencia's ability to get another competent coach into the job i mean they often talk about you know, the definition of insanity is to keep trying the same thing, expecting different results. So if he keeps, oh, we're still going to play our way and uh, nothing ever changes, then at what point do you go, well, we do need to make a change and maybe that changes the manager. And that's true. Similarly, it's also just as insane to change the coach every year, year and a half, two years, and expect some sort of progress. Come on, it's getting fun. (laughs) Yeah, the change... The change in behavior may be keeping the coach. Mm-hmm. Unless we bring back the Nevels. <laughs> no. <laughs> Worst win percentage in the history of La Liga. I mean, think of it, Ian. If you just bring back the Nevels, but you, you, know, you put Phil in charge instead of whatever the hell the other one was. He was. Gary. Gary. Thank you. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> he's being introduced right. to the team. Very and he's like shaking hands and he doesn't, he couldn't even go through and go like, hola, como estas? Hola, como estas? Like, all right, how are you? All right, you, you all right? <laughs> damn it, Gary. <laughs> no, keep Marcelino because at the very least, it's, he's not a Neville. I mean, by that same token, I could be manager. <laughs> hey, if you don't try, you won't you won't get there. True. You gotta, you gotta ask. Seems your main selling point seems to be you could do the same job for less. Exactly. I couldn't do worse. I could do it might be just as bad, but you could. But I would but but I'd do it ex- just as bad, but you'd be getting paid half as much. I I'm willing that to That seems reasonable to me. No. Different face, half the price, same results. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I can say hola and como estas. I mean, so, you know, say, I'm halfway there. Say you were proposing to take over Huesca. I'd agree. <laughs> They've lost seven times. They've won once. They've drawn three. Okay, okay, okay Ian. All right, I'll change my proposal. I'll get paid a quarter of the amount. How about that? How about that? And I'll hire you. You can be, you know, you, you could be the translate. You could be the Phil Neville to his Gary. Yeah, That's but I'm right. five percent more than Phil Neville was getting. <laughs> that sounds fair. <laughs> so, are you trying to budget yourself as a like a budget Sam Allardyce? Is that fair? Yeah, exactly. Little, little Sam. <laughs> I was going to call you Big Matt, but yeah, sure. Little Sam. I like it. Well. Enough for part one? Oh, yeah. Definitely enough for part one. <laughs> <laughs> I was assuming part one was going to be way back there somewhere. <laughs> we'll take a break and get back at you. What'd you get? Bluetooth grill thermometer. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So you can check it anywhere. From the comfort of my own home. That's nice. Yeah. Or somebody else's home. True. But I'm, uh, I think, I think that'd be wildly irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> You're next door neighbor. Maybe. I mean, can, can people in China hack in and, see what temperature your meat is currently sure by all bluetooth means. also near field communication so yeah. you can only go so far no but i'd be perfectly comfortable with the chinese checking my meat okay <laughs> <laughs> that's your audio clip for the day <laughs> and welcome back to the three linesman podcast <laughs> <laughs> So, what did you guys do during the break? I don't know, I was just... Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think think Luis was was off having his meat checked by the Chinese. (laughs) 
<laughs> Which he was perfectly happy. But during our next break, if you care to go to patreon.com slash three linesmen, we have a, uh, a revamped Patreon page that we have just put up. We have two levels of contributions that are, that are possible. Um, along with a new sort of history of the pod to introduce people that aren't super familiar with what we've been doing for the past two and a half ish, three years. Um, for $2 a month, just keep our lights on. That's what it's called. Um, get priority for pod questions being answered. And then if you want to contribute $5.75 per month, that is the haiku level of patron. And um, we will each write a haiku about a player or manager of your choice and read it on the pod. Oh, you know what would be amazing about that is if we get enough contributors, the pod will just become haikus. <laughs> yeah, if you're tired for of like, it. <laughs> for like two hours of haikus. <laughs> yeah, you're just tired of us and can't figure out how to stop listening for some reason. Oh, can we just start a new pod that's about just doing haikus for you might two have hours? <laughs> that's up to the listeners. <laughs> Once again, uh, patreon.com slash three linesmen with the number three. All right, so I guess part two or De. three, or whatever this ends up being. De. Uh, what's left? We've got We've got some fodder. Nicholas Bentner's back in the news. We've got some real news. We've got some fake news. Bunch of stuff. Pseudo news? Yeah. No, the Bentner's real. I mean, Nick- I mean he, he definitely did get charged. I mean, definitely real got enough, found guilty. Real is... yeah. 30 days? Is that what they gave him? Uh, suspended? Suspended 30 days? I don't know. He's appealing. Yeah, so he's not in jail yet. He's trying to justify punching a cabbie. So let, let's just let's just wait it out. Let due process take its course. <laughs> I mean, if his appeal fails, he could be doing more, right? Is it the same as like as as soccer in Denmark? If it's a, an egregious or a what was the term for it? Um, Grievous bodily harm. No, and you appeal a red card for no good reason. Oh. Dogzo. Frivolous, a frivolous appeal. For a red card, you can get extra games added to your suspension if the mm. Tribune is a judge that you are wasting their time. Um, I think we, we sort of came down maybe on Bentner's side when we talked about this in the pod earlier. Once it was described well, that I the mean, cabbie if... was being a little bit violent or aggressive towards him, it was him and his girlfriend, correct? It wasn't just him? Yeah, was he well, I mean, the problem is we didn't we didn't know whether his version of events is is the truth or not. It could have been his megalomaniacal delusion. So yeah, it, it seems like the court sided with the cabbie. There right. are inherent risks to taking Bettner's side of the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that has been the three lines from podcast. Um, Wait, we're not going to do the super classical. Oh, the super classical. Yes, there is. So this is actually something you that's know, kind of coming up. You you write the notes. I don't even know. I know. It's just kind of cool because <laughs> I don't know a ton about it. I know it's going to be Boca and River playing in Argentina. Um, it's the last Super Classico over two legs, I think, before they change the format. 
and there's a game home and there's a game away and there's not going to be away fans at either one of them. So you're going to have a stadium full of Boca fans and then a stadium full of River fans and then this poor team that has to go play away. <laughs> no, I, I think it makes perfect sense from a you know public health and public safety point of view. Yeah, safety point of view. I don't know. Have you ever? I mean, seen, that uh... like what was? I mean, what was that? Uh, what was that Pele film where they're in? They played a, they played a match against the prisoners. Played a match against the German team in <laughs> in. Uh, <laughs> and Pele was there. Whatever. There was Pele, was but Victory. also you're forgetting the greatest goalkeeper of all time, Sylvester Stallone. Ah, was he in it? Yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he <laughs> was a uh, gloveless goalkeeper. You don't get gloves in a prisoner of war camp. <laughs> no, no, I'm just trying to contest, like saying it was back in the day. Um, the name of the movie anyway, was. That's kind of how I imagine it. To victory. I think it's called Victory. Yeah. I've been saying, I've been saying the name of it for like two minutes. You get drowned out. I said it a minute ago, but. <laughs> to, it's all I've been saying. Escape to victory. I mean, we don't know what it's called, but, I mean. <laughs> It could be anything. <laughs> what we do know is Pele's in it and Sylvester Stallone. And it's kind of, it, you know, they're in enemy territory, so to speak, and then they have to escape the stadium. Yeah, it was an allies versus we, Nazis yeah. thing. It, it's set in space. <laughs> yeah. It's called Moonraker. It's, uh... Luis Suarez plays Jaws. <laughs> Jaws plays Luis Suarez. <laughs> All right. We, as I said, we don't know what it's called, but. It's, uh... All right. This ends here. This ends now. What, so, All right. when does the Super Classico take place for our loyal listeners who may be interested in Argentinian football? Two oh, legs. I believe one of them is on the 10th, and one of them may be on the, the 10th and the 24th. All right. There you go. Yep. So the first match will be at uh, the Bombonera, which is Boca's stadium, on the tenth. As we all know, will be at the Monumental, which is Rivers, and that is on the twenty fourth. Both matches are expected to be without away fans, although that news has been changing every day. <laughs> Okey doke. All right. Well, <clears throat> we've had horse races. We've had. Hideous statues. Well, they're not going to have horse races. I, I edit that out. <laughs> we definitely haven't had horse races. <laughs> <laughs> We've had horse-like statues. <laughs> had a little bit of everything today. I think but, the statues oh, were made by horses. So, say goodbye, Matt. Goodbye. Goodbye, Luis. Goodbye. And that is goodbye from me. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>